Hi, good morning. A very Merry Christmas from Watercliffe side to all of you. It's wonderful um, to wish. I like this. Don't know why you haven't done it a long time ago. It's really, really good for us to be here. Um, I'm going to preach from two passages. The one has just been read to us. The other one comes from Isaiah 53. So if you want to page or scroll down to Isaiah 53, verse 10. So we're going to refer to both those passages, Isaiah 53 and then Luke. I'm going to refer to especially verse 14. Uh, I'm going to refer to one or two other sections. Before we read, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We worship you as the one who has looked on earth. You have had concern for us. And you have made a plan. You have made a plan to save us from our own sin, from our rebellion against you. We worship you this morning for that truth. Help us to hear afresh the Christmas message and why this is such a joyous time. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear well and then to do even better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the 1980s, there was um, a TV show called The A-Team. I know it's been revamped. Uh, Gladly, I haven't seen the new thing. Is it? I'll take your word for it. Back in the 1980s, the the main guy was Hannibal, and Hannibal had this, you know, the A-team's job was to sort of sort out bad guys as they go along, Um, and they had made a plan. They had to come up with a really good plan, and Hannibal was the brains, and he came up with a plan to sort of, you know, get rid of or trap or trick the, the bad guys, and then his plan, week after week, would work without fail, you know, perfectly, and you know, as the last criminal was sort of tripped up and caged in or semi-blown up, um, because it's very, you know, anyway. <laughs> what he does, right when the last sort of uh, puzzle piece falls into place, he would have, you know, he would light his cigar, he would put it in his mouth, and what would he say? I love it when a plan comes together. Hey, <laughs> That's what TV does to you. It brings us all together. That's what it does. I love it when a plan comes together. So what we're going to look at today in Isaiah 53 is the the best plan, the most cosmic, well-thought-out plan that God had for us. It is Isaiah 53, verse 10. I'll read it to you. Yet it was the Lord's will. It was his desire. It was his pleasure, actually to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, and the will of the Lord, the pleasure of the Lord, will prosper in his hand. That is the master plan. So what we're going to look at is 
the reason God made this plan. Because you don't just come up with a plan, right? There's something wrong, you know, uh, because you, there's a reason for the plan. The, the, you know, either there's, uh, you know, someone is in a tight spot or uh, you've made it quite a good plan, but, you know, there's a spanner in the works and you have to remake a plan. Um, and today we're going to have a look at why the plan had to be made. I'm just going to quickly recap. I know Crossword has done this in the last couple of weeks. I'm just going to bring Watercliffe up to speed just quickly about what the predicament is, why the plan was there. Then we're going to have a look at the effect of the plan, the benefit of the plan, and the response to the plan. All right, those are, those, that's where we're heading. As we read Isaiah 53, what we should be very clear even though it's written 700 years before Christ was born, it talks about him this morning. It is Jesus himself who is being referred to. It was the Lord Jesus that was crushed. It was him who was suffering. It was his life that was made an offering for sin. Okay, 1 Peter 2.24 actually confirms this. When Peter writes, he says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So let's not be unclear about who we say Isaiah is talking about. It is not an ordinary plan to to solve an ordinary problem. It is a supernatural God-ordained plan that solves a fundamental human predicament. That is the plan. So, as I said, during the last two weeks, uh, Crossword spoke about the predicament uh, and the reason for the plan and the promise of a coming solution, the promise of the plan. And what they've done, Vodacliff, and for those of you who missed that one, they went back to, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament uh, passages you can go to, but Genesis 6 verse 5 is a surprisingly accurate chap, uh, verse that explains the human predicament. I'll read it to you quickly. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all of the time. So what is wrong with the world? You know, the age-old question that people have been wondering about for thousands of years. In this passage, God points to the problem, right? He says the wickedness is in the human heart. You and I are the problem. Every inclination and thought of the human heart without Christ is always bent towards evil. And human hearts have a natural hostility, a natural sort of rebellion against God. And even though people who are not Christians will, you know, deny this, some atheists are very um, uh, aware and, and they, they say, yeah, I know that. Um, I've read a, here's a quote by an atheist philosopher. His name is Thomas Nagel. He, he acknowledges this. He says, it isn't, that I, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally I hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. This cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition. 
he acknowledges that, and we acknowledge the same thing. This is what it says. It's not a rare condition for us not to want a God to be there. We don't want him to be there. Right? We don't want to be ruled by someone else telling us how to live. And that is the predicament. And that is the predicament that leads to a God predicament. Now we have a God problem. We are under God's wrath. God looks at sin and he says, A holy God cannot let sin go unpunished. That is our problem. And that brings us to the promise. right? And then they looked at Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, 700 years before Christ came, the promise was made. It looked at the human heart. It looks at the condition. It says, there's no human solution to this problem, is what Isaiah 59 is saying. There's no human solution because there's no righteous human to sort out the problem. Isaiah 59 reads, Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. God knew that humans cannot save themselves, and we know that very well, because we cannot change the condition of our own heart. It's impossible. And we cannot, therefore, escape the wrath of God. And so God made a plan. Just the next verse says, so his plan is he's going to sort it out himself. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. So that is the predicament, the, 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 uh, what is going on in our, the evil, the wickedness in our own hearts. And the plan is, uh, the promise is that God will sort it out himself. And now we get to the plan. What is the effect of this plan? Um, verse 50, uh, Isaiah 53, 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. There's the story of the student who was driving a beaten, beat up little Volkswagen Beetle. He was held together by the rust and the dirt on it, so he didn't dare touch it. Um, it was really run down. It, it broke down a lot. You know, no aircon, no radio, uh, very badly. Um, you know, heavy on fuel and so on. And then he had a three-day seminar in Cape Town. And his mom looked at that and says, listen, why don't you use my car? It's a really fancy one. Please use my car. You know, it's much safer for the next three days. And boy, did he enjoy driving around in the fancy car for three days. He had all but forgotten um, how luxurious a drive can be, how worry-free a trip down the N2 can actually be. After three days, you know, he raved and he said, Mom, thank you, this was, this was great. Um, I, I really enjoyed your car. It's a brilliant car. His mom, looked at, his mom looked at him, took the keys, and gave it back to him and says, 
I'm going to give you the key. I'm going to give you the car. Here's the car keys. I'll take yours, but don't worry about the payments. I'll cover it for you. There's still installments left for a couple of years. Don't worry about it. I've got it covered. The car is a gift. It didn't cost the student a cent. But the mother took it upon her to pay the price for it. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God on himself. He paid the price so that we can have a new life. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and caused him to suffer. One part of the problem was that God wanted to wipe humanity off the face of the earth in Genesis 6. Our sin and our rebellion were so offensive to this holy God that he wanted to punish us. He wanted to get rid of the whole human race and start again. And why is that the penalty? Because the penalty for sin is death. Someone had to die. So Jesus, who was both righteous, sinless human, was crushed on the cross. He suffered in humanity's sin was atoned for. So that's the effect of the plan. What's the benefit? What is the benefit for us? The benefit to the student was that he was saved from driving around in a beat-up Volkswagen and he got a new car for free. The benefit is that we are saved from having a wicked heart. We are saved from always wanting to turn to evil. And we are saved from the wrath of God. We have eternal life. We are born again, new hearts, right? That is a fantastic plan. That is the new status we have with God. No longer are we enemies, now we are adopted, uh, sons and daughters. Reconciliation with God, friendship with God is now possible. Isaiah 53, verse 10, and further on, he says, He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Through Jesus' very cruel death, the first part of the, the passage, many people will have new life. Many people. There will be a great worldwide family of every language group and every location of the globe in every period of history who would be given new life through the death of Jesus Christ. He would have offspring like the sand of the sea. What a plan. One death, countless lives being given. And that is when he says finally, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In Christ's hand, the, the, the plan of God will absolutely prosper. And Paul Tripp says this about that particular section. He says, when God placed this plan in the hands of Christ, he put it in good hands. Jesus would be faithful. He would do everything that the Father asked him to do, and in so doing would provide for us not only eternal life, but eternal hope. Jesus was faithful. He was willing. Never for even a brief moment was his heart fickle. 
Never for a brief moment did he reconsider. He accepted the severe job description with joy, and through him, God's work prospers. So what is our response to this? Our response takes us to Luke, right? Luke 2. If you and I fully understand what we have been saved from and what we've been saved into, then there's the angels helps us to have a really proper response. The famous Christmas story tells us um, how we should respond. The first response is one of joy. Right? That's why I wear the shirt, to give all people around me joy. Okay? <laughs> because that is what, if I look at Christmas, there's something joyous that it, it just bubbles up from the bottom. And it's because of the great salvation that we have. And the angels couldn't help themselves. The angels, just like Hannibal from the A-team, they saw God's plan coming together. Luke 2 verse 10 says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. And he was speaking to the, to the shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Christmas should be the cause of great joy. And because Jesus came to save us from the wickedness of our hearts, he came to die for our sins at Christmas, this truth should fill us with great joy. I don't know how many of you watched the FIFA World Cup final. It was a great thing. It was wonderful. It was exciting. And when the last ball was kicked... I don't know how many Argentinians there were and Messi fans worldwide, right, were filled with joy. You, you still can't get the grin off their faces. The problem with that whole idea is that in four years' time, they're going to have to do it all again, right? You're only that big a hero. You're only the world champion for four years, and then you're going to have to prove yourself all over again. We, on the other hand, are set free forever. It was a once-off deal. We should celebrate the greatest victory the cosmos has ever seen. Once-off, a smile forever. The second reason we should, you know, Christmas should fill us with joy is in verse 11. Today, the angels tells the, the, the shepherds, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. That's a very interesting thing to say. The words are almost like a tag on a Christmas present, right? To Delina from Renir, right? So the angels sort of are placing a tag on the manger and saying, to the shepherds from God. That's an interesting thing to say. It's quite a surprise. Because whom was Jesus born to? To a family, right? To Mary and Joseph. It's a weird thing for the angels to say, it's born to you, shepherd, to you. He was doing much more than just telling the shepherds what had happened. He also told the shepherds why it mattered 
to them. Because as I say, usually a, a baby is born to a family. The family are the ones that receive the gift of the child. In this case, however, the child was, according to the angel, born to the shepherds. So when the Bible says it was born to you, what he often does is he invites the reader into the story. And as you and I read the story, what the angel is telling you is that this child was also born to you. To Kathy, from God. To Sean, from God. To Pumeza, from God. To Yanni, from God. You have the gift of his life. Because God says to you what the angel said to the shepherd. To you. A son is born. And the final response that Luke 2 invites us into is worship. If the child was born to you, you would be do well to worship. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. The worship song came from angels. And Philip Ryken writes this about the perspective he saw when the angels started singing. What makes this song, he writes, different from others is that it was sung by a chorus of angels. It was not a hymn that rose from the earth, but an anthem that came down from heaven. For this reason, the Gloria gives a fuller revelation of the true divine glory of Jesus Christ. God the Son had always enjoyed, he writes, the adoration of angels. From eternity past, those sinless creatures had worshipped him with perpetual praise. But now they were singing in a new venue. Now they were singing in a new venue, praising God on earth as they had always done in heaven. But now God was sending his Son into the world where he would be despised and rejected unto death for the salvation of a lost and fallen race. This was the most glorious demonstration that God had ever made of his grace. That's a really good insight. The good news of Jesus should cause us to worship. My prayer is that we should learn to worship throughout every single mundane day. And what I've learned in the last couple of weeks, what God has taught me, was to start worshiping as I live. And he kept on asking me the question, Renier, the way you spoke to this poor fellow who met me you know, in the parking lot, was that worship? The way I love my spouse... Are you worshipping? The way you honor your parents. Are you worshipping? The way you go on a date. Are you worshipping? What we do, how we live, whether we eat or stand or sleep or lie down, it should be worship. 
it should bring glory to God in the highest. And very lastly this morning, I want to say that not only did the angels bring glory, they pronounced a blessing. Luke 2 verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth to the people he favors, he says. If you accept Jesus Christ and his salvation, Jesus Christ offers you peace. The Hebrew is shalom. What shalom is not, it's not an absence of conflict. Because that's what we think peace is, right? It's an absence of conflict. Shalom is not that. Shalom is peace in the middle of conflict. Despite the conflict. You will have peace because first and foremost you have peace with God. The moment you have peace with God, all other kinds of peace with other people are possible. Our sins and our guilt cry out against us, right? But Jesus came to give us peace about that. Peace about our guilt, peace about our, our sin. Because he has paid the penalty for it. And once we have peace with God, then we can have peace with one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here is the conclusion, and I'll read our two passages and I'll close with this. So this is the plan. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Why? So that we can respond in worship and so, and it's so that we can be blessed. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that a child was born to me. It is an astounding idea. Thank you that if I read the, the pages of Scripture... You point to me. My name is on the tag. Jesus Christ was born to me. And it's a gift from you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have opened my heart and my eyes to accept this truth. Thank you that for, for the last 20 years or so, I've had peace. Peace with you that sprang and flowed into peace that I just above my understanding. We want to worship you. And I want to pray for each one who have no idea what that peace feels like and experience like or tastes like, that in this Christmas, you, Holy Spirit, will help us to understand the cosmic problem and the godly solution, the ones of death, that you have come to die. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you that we can say, glory to God in the highest heaven because of this great plan that you have made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.